the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer in the maple auto mall near rutherford at highway 400 luxury is closer than you think round one on round one let's say good morning live in studio to mark tui toronto lawyer karima sad is here lisa Raitt, former federal cabinet minister as well and it's nice to see y'all happy friday we'll start by talking about the debate for selfish reasons i guess we're a little bit more motivated about this one because it was on News Talk 1010 and our sister television station, CP24. But also, I think it was kind of the deal closer. I don't think there are going to be any other debates. And the candidates were scrappy because they realized this was the final pitch. Uh, Mark Tui, I'll start with you because you've worked in the political theater. You've coached people on debates. You've watched your share of debates. And if you thought it was a crap show, don't be afraid to say so because... <laughs> they're, they're all, the format was terrible and the moderation was iffy. Yeah. Um, but you can say that... You could honestly say that about every debate that's ever been held, because no one's ever afterwards happy with the format that looked very good right. going in, because it just never happens I the would way say that you want it to happen. seven people, if I wish it had occurred to me, I've never done this before, seven people in an uninterrupted, well, not in an uninterrupted, but in a five and a half minute free-for-all is crazy. Oh, for sure. The more people you have it, and and when you, because the first thing you do if you're preparing for a debate is you look at well, how long is the debate? It's uh, this many minutes. How many people are going to be on the stage? Divided by the number of minutes. So I only have seven minutes of content that I need to fill. I, I think, I think Olivia Chow benefited by being under attack all the time. I still don't know what she stands for, and I think the others would have done much better had they let her have the time to speak because she doesn't do well when she speaks but she does play a good victim and so when everybody else is saying her name in half the clips the only name that comes out is olivia chow so when you're faced in the ballot box uh, when you're going to cast your vote there's 102 names you got to find the one you're looking for one that you recognize oh chow I recognize that one. Lisa Raid, I'll come to you next. And I will also say that uh, when I got home, uh, my partner said, so did you actually get to watch the debate? I said, no, I was too busy running it. I, I really, I'm going to have to go back and watch it on the PVR because it was like being a hockey ref and not knowing what the score is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've been, I've been a moderator. Uh, I haven't prepped anyone, but I've been in a debate. And I hate them. I absolutely abhor them. I don't think you get anything across. It's gamesmanship. It's whatever you do in the front couple of minutes is what sticks. But what it's coming down to, I think, is um, it's about who is best to be the the candidate against Olivia Chow. Um, because what I find are in the electorate is they know they're not voting for her. So who are they going to vote for? And I don't know whether or not that debate gave them a clear picture of who is the best person to beat Olivia Chow in the mayoralty race. And Karima Sad, everybody was piling on, as Lisa said, to Olivia Chow. But I'm not sure they were really doing any damage. She just sort of stands there with an expression on her face like, what's it to you? Yeah, I don't know that uh, anyone landed effective hits. Um, and I agree that it may actually have been counterproductive, not just because it keeps her name top of mind, um, but it just it reflects a little bit poorly. Um, I, I don't think that anyone comes out shining when they are on the attack rather than focusing on the substance of their own campaigns and debates aren't really conducive to that in any event. But 
um, it would have been nice to see candidates at least try. And, okay, we're not going to go around uh, again and again and again, but I just want to touch on a couple of other issues. And Lisa Raitt, the thing that everybody attacks yeah. Olivia Chow over is that she says she's going to raise taxes, but she won't say by how much. Josh Matlow, on the day he launched his campaign, was in this studio and he said the figure out loud. But, mm-hmm. you know, the takeaway from all of this is people are actually willing to vote for somebody who says, I will raise your taxes. Or they don't understand that that is exactly what's going to happen. Maybe they're just hearing, okay, we're going to make sure that we have all these programs that are going to work because I'm going to make your city better. She did say it once, though. She said people who own big homes are going to have to pay a little bit more. And everybody in Toronto will agree to that because they don't think they have a big expensive home. How much is an expensive home is what's going to be the question, you know, knowing what the the average cost of a a house is in Toronto. Who's going to get dinged for that bill? So I think people will only realize this after the fact. It'll be year two if Olivia does become mayor when they see their tax bill and they wonder what the heck happened. Uh, Kareem Assad, you don't have to name names if you don't want to, but I have to say in watching or you know, what I could watch of the debate last night, some of the arguing and the clash and the refusal to stop talking um, took the charm out of a few of the candidates I was watching. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, it, it's just not... It's not very becoming, is it? Um, and, you know, politics as sort of sports and kind of if we take that analogy, it doesn't show good sportsmanship. Um, so I was disappointed um, at the interruptions um, that that were occurring. And any last thoughts, Mark Tui, before we jump to another topic? Well, the new guy in the crowd was Anthony yes. Fury. And so it was interesting to kind of get a measure of him. And I think he came across as a bit of a, if you will, younger but more mature and sober Rob Ford kind of guy. Okay. The kind of person who sort of seems to say things that I think a lot of people actually agree with, although they're shocking on the face. Yeah, well, when a guy says, I'm tired of stepping on needles and uh, walking around homeless people, I think most Torontonians, even left-leaners, are going to go, yep, but everybody else just pivots and starts talking about housing again. Uh, Let's move on to, we now have three out of eight girls accused of murdering a man, and remember, these are like 13, 14, and 15, 16-year-old girls uh, accused of murdering a man in the city's core. Uh, Three out of eight are behind bars. One of them was recently dispatched to a detention center because the people who were going to look after her decided they didn't want to anymore. Uh, The other violated some of the aspects of her parole. Karima said, you're the lawyer on the panel. Uh, You don't necessarily have to see this through a legal lens. Um, I agree with Deb Hutton, the the girl who was returned to custody because they didn't want her. I mean, how awful to be that kid. Yeah, this is really tragic, um, you know, and every aspect of this story, I think, is just going to reveal more sad things about our state of affairs and, and the fact that um, the responsible person was no longer able to care for. We don't know what was going on in the home. There's very little information that we'll be privy to because of sort of publication bans, um, but it's it's absolutely gutting and, and speaks to a need for support for families where the 
kids are high risk or high needs. Yeah, Mark Tui, I know I'll be accused of being a bleeding heart for having said I thought it was sad because <laughs> let's not forget these girls are accused of having collectively murdered a man. But at the same time, I know people who did some pretty bad things as teenagers and then became better people because they were restreamed. And so, you know, when you're remanded back into custody and you haven't even been tried yet, it's you're not on the right course. No, I mean, it's a very complicated question. If it was easy, that we would have figured it out. I, yeah. You know, I'm still parsing in my head whether this news tells us that our system is woefully broken or that our system is working. Because, you know, if you just, if you take the ages out, these are people who were remanded under the, you know, the supervision of a surety to make sure that they, they follow the rules. And one of the sureties, for whatever reason, said, I can't do this anymore. I respect that. I mean, it, because too often we have the sureties not take their jobs seriously, and people who are under supervision of a surety kind of recommit other offenses. So that seems to be working. It's sad that kids have play, don't have a place to go. But on the other hand, too many times I hear folks like me demanding, well, this is the parents, it's the parents, the parents should... At some point, you kind of got to ask with some kids, yeah. sadly, the parent, like, what are the parents supposed to do? You know, if you've got a teenager and they just won't, like, are you supposed to physically restrain them? Are you, like, I really feel for parents in that regard. And in this case, maybe it was a parent, maybe it wasn't. But somebody sort of said, I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, I know some very good parents who have ended up with kids. They, they just simply yeah, have not been able too. to control. Yeah, they have their own will and, and they choose to do things and there's not okay. much you can do about it. Let's turn to Lisa Raid on this one. Yeah, I'm with Mark Tui uh, on this one. I think, first of all, whoever was the responsible adult, they did say at the beginning that they would put themselves up as a surety. And I think that shows that there was somebody in their lives. One of the conditions that the that all of these girls had was that you're not allowed to have a smartphone or social media. Have you tried to take a phone away from a teenager lately? I can only imagine the nightmare that that must be like and the amount of, of strife that would bring into a family, let alone sneaking out of the house or any of the, the normal things that teenagers are wont to do, but in this case, could land the responsible adult in jail. Okay, in some circles, people think Marco Mendicino may be quietly shown, well, I mean, he'll still be in caucus, but he'll be kicked out of cabinet sometime today, maybe at five o'clock in the afternoon, thanks to a digital press release. And part of the damage would definitely be this encounter with reporters yesterday. Of, of, of the actions that we've taken today, and I'll be happy to take it, more questions. No, 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 Okay, that's our friend Marika Walsh, the loudest of that group. And it's funny because you can hear people going, whoa, 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 as he tries to walk away. But he got away. Lisa Ray, you have served in cabinet. What do you see happening, not only in this, I mean, we don't have to Zapruder film this moment, but do you actually think yeah. Marco Mendicino is in trouble? I do. Three things. Number one, the, the prime minister did not voice any support for him when he was asked about it. Um, number two, the uh, the reality of that press conference yesterday. So if he had one chance to redeem himself, he he didn't he didn't make it. And number three, he referred to the whole circumstance as the Bernardo affair. So he named his own scandal. Clearly, he's not thinking through what exactly is going on. I don't think it's at five o'clock today if there's a cabinet shuffle, because with that portfolio, you got to figure out who's going to take the spot. And they're contemplating a bigger shuffle. Yeah, I suspect you're right, Lisa, that the Trudeau's, uh, the people who surround him 
will try to control the message. So they won't fire Marco Mendicino until they have a cabinet shuffle, shuffle and they either demote him or let him go. But that'll just be the cabinet shuffle. But Karima, your thoughts? Um, I the the naming of the own scandal. That's an interesting point that yeah. I, I hadn't thought of. Um, it, it's it's really too bad that this blew up in the way that it did at all, um, because it's really not uh, a matter of where Bernardo is situated um, is something that should be dealt with by the public servants. And it's not something that ought to have been weighed in on, in my opinion. Um, and that just kind of the the aftermath of that and the inconsistent statements that have been made um, from the liberals, um, like it, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Mark Tui, if he does get the sack, then, and, and if you believe that he's telling the truth, then he's been undone by his own staff who are trying apparently to protect him. Yeah, it's interesting because this starts to peel away the veneer of uh, who actually runs government. Is it civil servants? Is it uh, elected uh, you know, politicians? Or is it the unelected political operatives that they put in their office? People like me, you know, when I was in the mayor's office. And far too often, far too much power falls on the shoulders of these people you've never heard of before. And oftentimes, they're very young and they were only hired because they'll work 700 hours a week for not much more than minimum wage and a credit on their resume, and they don't really know much about life or about governing. They know a little bit about campaigning and writing very brief memos. <laughs> Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. That's it for round one. Lisa Raid, Karim Assad, and Mark Tui. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.